0: Uh, right now I'm joined by uh, Dr Phil Ferguson and John Moore. Good morning to you both. Good morning. Good to be back in Dunedin. Oh, good to be. Oh, yes, yes, you're back. You've been away. You've been up in the Capitol House sitting. I have, I have. And doing a few other things. but bully of things? the beast. Oh, yes. Did you go down to Parliament?
1: No, I walked past it a few times Yeah, yeah. The no, pull I the finger I can pop it, past. yeah, indeed Yeah, indeed. good, good
0: yes. pull the, the bird Yeah, that's right, that's right <laughs> As you walk past They're all in the other building anyway <laughs> They don't care uh, Anyway, yes. Yeah, so we're going to talk about politics uh, But, first, well, yeah, well, of course First, um, TPP, it's, it's on the agenda again It's never really gone off the agenda Let's be honest about it uh, You know, but a bit of a hump for this one Because, you know, Labour's selling us out and all uh, Promises, promises Great album by Die. by the way uh, um but you know what has really changed with this deal i find it really interesting with the the, the whole cpp ttt wee 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 um you know cuz labor's kind of gone into this a bit blind and they've only mm. been in they've only been in power for you know a, a number of, a few months, uh, and the deal's really progressing again. they going well. They're going back and forwards, but they're still pushing it really hard. But they had no you know not that much knowledge of what was actually written down. National kept it all really hush hush, didn't they? Mm, um, indeed. So, yeah. so so I mean, it just seems like it's moving a little bit too fast for me. It's scaring me. You've you've got big partners pulling out. The United States has gone. Canada's here or there who really knows
1: there for now
0: there yeah. for now although well, they were out last week
1: mm. <laughs> so I mean what, what is really going on and, and what has really changed Okay, so the the Trans-Pacific Partnership deal, which has been on the cards for, or under negotiation now, for 10 years, was to be a trade agreement between uh, 12 countries, with the most important country being America, the United States, which is the biggest economy in the world. Um, Donald Trump stood on a platform A couple more days, it'd be. Yes, he would would pull out of that deal, uh, Mm -hmm. which America now has. So um, now it it includes... um, it still includes up to five hundred million people, yeah. the countries collectively involved, including japan so japan 's the major economy, the third biggest economy in the world that 's involved in this agreement, and fourteen percent of global economic activity, which is about amounts to about ten trillion dollars so, a few dollars but nonetheless it 's not the substantial deal, and it won 't have the kind of impact it would have if America had been involved now. Both Labour, New Zealand First and the Greens all campaigned against this deal to the extent of actually um, attending um, protests up and down the country saying that they staunchly opposed the Trans-Pacific Partnership um, deal. Uh, when Labour got into power um, both Jacinda Ardern and Winston Peters from New Zealand First hopped on over to Vietnam and, <coughs> um, uh, discussed the deal with the countries that are remaining mm-hmm. and um, pretty quickly indicated that it was prepared to sign up to the deal um, and as you said Jamie, um, um, as with all these types of trade deals, governments tend to keep them uh, pretty confidential and most details secret until after the deal was signed yes. Uh, so yes, Labour, there would have been a lot details that Labor wasn't aware of, but um, yes, one has to be suspicious that both New Zealand First and Labor were so happy to quickly sign up to the deal uh, in such a short time once they had all the information about the, all the ins and outs of the um, TPP agreement. Um, so is this a sow out on Labor's part? Um, if we believe Labor and Winston Peter's that this is a, um, a, a substantially different agreement to the original TPP then one could argue no it's not a sell out that Labor's been able to uh, get uh, some substantial changes made as well as um, Canada on that case. However, Jane Kelsey um, from Auckland University, who's probably the most prominent academic critic, critic of such deals Definitely. has said that no this isn't substantially different uh, to the original TPP, some of the more, what she would argue, obnoxious elements of the deal, including the ability of um, foreign companies to sue governments, have been put on hold but have only been put on hold and and can be um, uh, enacted at at any time. Mm. And some people suspect that some of the clauses that have been on hold have uh, been Kept in there uh, on the basis that in a future time, um, America might um, join this yeah. TPP deal, and some of those um, um, more so-called obnoxious uh, clauses might be re-enacted yeah. um, if that's what, um, if, that, if that was the condition for America entering the deal.
0: Where they have a sane president. Mm. Uh, although, you know, the deal's <laughs> insane. This is one of the, you know, I mean when it comes down to it, I hate, you don't Trump, I hate him, but this is a really good, you know, it's one thing I re- kind of like
1: about the guy, <laughs> was the fact that he pulled out of this deal. Um, well, he stood on a populist, economic, nationalist mm. platform, mm. And um, so that's what differentiates people like Trump from the likes of uh, Obama and Bush before him, etc., etc. that there was a general consensus amongst both conservative and liberal parties on the left that these so-called free market trade deals, uh, there should be no opposition to them from Mm. the left or right. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. So with the rise of a new form of populist nationalism, uh, a la Donald Trump, we are now seeing Mm. um, significant opposition to such deals. Now, you know, and the fact that they made
0: them dormant, it's way more palatable for for populations and to tell them, all oh, these things are not in the deal as we're signing them now but, you know, when they can come back, so it, it makes it, you know, seem a little bit better to the public eye as well. One thing I'm really worried about, Phil, is the treaty. Mm, well, I think it's,
2: uh, what they've done is fairly typical labour in that they've knocked off the rough edges and mm. then gone ahead with things. I think, though, that all the well, certainly Labour and National, um, and also then the Greens are very committed to the whole to the whole treaty of of Waitangi and the whole current race relations set up and paradigm or like some people call it race relations industry. So I don't actually think that they're going to do stuff that undermines the way in which the treaty of waitangi has been currently operated uh-huh. because i think they they want it they want the treaty as it is i think one of the things that the elite in new zealand are very worried about is having a large alienated brown skinned population like in the united states and they want to m- make them feel part of something while still in lots of ways being second class citizens and I think the whole process around the treaty is integral to that you know, mm-hmm. that's what's created a Maori middle class to mediate between the Maori working class and, and, and the state and the ruling elite um, and so I don't think they're going to undermine the, the the Treaty of Waitangi One of the, the things that amazes me about this though like John was saying, you know, you know Labour joint campaigns against the TPPA, and I remember walking by a protest in the, in the octagon over the TPPA, and the two Labour MPs spoke in a row, and I thought, when I looked at the group of people there, I thought, why have you got these people on the platform, and why are you clapping them? As soon as they get into power, those words are going to be absolutely worthless. And, you know, uh, mm. it's like people here, they like having the wall pulled
1: over their eyes.
0: We don't really look into things too no. deeply, do we? <laughs> um,
1: and oh. all, the, all the signs were there that Labour was going yeah. to sign up to this agreement. They said if the previous uh, national government had signed up, that they wouldn't reverse that decision. They made that very clear um, um, uh, before they were elected to power. So the opposition to it, in many ways, was meaningless. They said they, they would uh, be prepared to not enact clauses in the TPP deal if they became government, but keep the TPP oh, yeah. deal in place, um, which um, again would risk the government being sued um, um, or um, uh, facing penalties um, um. if it was to actually not abide by certain clauses. But now, um, uh, mm-hmm. both Labour and mm-hmm. um, uber-nationalist uh, New Zealand First uh, are right behind the deal. Um, the only Man, so to say, left standing is the Greens, uh, who um, continue to show opposition to this deal. Well, the Fifth Labour Government started the deal, right, and and the yes. they,
0: you know, and, and they really started the ball rolling on free trade anyway. You know, they, mm-hmm. the China deal uh, and other deals with smaller nations as well. Yeah. I think there was one with Singapore, um, maybe and a few other countries as well. So Labour's really been the free trade um, government uh, party. Yeah, they're completely committed to free trade. Mm. Like they were never going to
2: like not do.
0: Yeah. What they've done. But, um, you know, but... The, the, just after the election, you had um, Winston Peters come in with his great anti-capitalism speech. Mm. Uh, you know, and, and he really had the backing of the Labour Party within that speech as well. You know, um, when when Jacinda Ardern talked about it afterwards, she was like, you know, we want to be seen as this progressive um, and moving away from from a capitalist society into something new that actually works for the people. But you know, was that just a big spiral of bullshit as well?
1: I, I think it's a standard for Winston Peters that when he's in opposition, he's very much a, a populist nationalist. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, a la Donald Trump, uh, going to the extent of using quite offensive rhetoric at times, xenophobia, racism comes into play with with his uh, rhetoric. However, whenever he's been in government, uh, he's far more moderate, uh, he doesn't rock the boat on the whole, and I think he's learnt um, from his experience when he first went into coalition with the Bolger uh, National Government, that. Um, uh, if he does uh, stick his head up and start rocking the boat and, and indicating um, opposition to some clauses with his um, partner in the government coalition that that all turns to custard yeah. um, so since he 's uh, worked with governments including the previous um, Clark government and now this government he tends to be yeah, a lot more cautious and moderate and and we look and he he the, He loses, or he he puts aside that sort of uh, nationalist, populist rhetoric. So in that way, he's quite different to Trump. Uh, Trump, um, yeah, for all his sort of disgusting racism and xenophobia, uh, has actually stuck to uh, Mm. a lot of the policies that he promised. Uh, Winston Peters, yes, uh, tends to be arguably a far more opportunistic politician. Well, Trump's still making deals to get money for a wall. You know, that's, <laughs> still, that,
0: that, that's still happening as yeah. we saw um, last week with the government shutdown, or this week actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and a lot of that was to do with with the money for the wall. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, well, but the Greens, you know, and this is why the Greens are there, and you know, another reason why they're there and just a confidence and supply uh, situation. They're not mm-hmm. a full coalition member because they're anti this kind of stuff, and and this is probably the kind of thing that would keep, always keep them on the outer, and why other parties would go with anyone but the Greens.
2: And I think this is part of the green brand. I think this is why they have uh, an electoral base of support that fluctuates between six and ten percent. You know, that's the that's a key part of the, the green brand, is a sort of liberal New Zealand nationalism. Um, I have a problem with the, uh, with a lot of the opposition to the TPPA because a lot of it is very kind of nationalistic, and it plays into some things that are not. Particularly pleasant about New Zealand society, um, I think, if from the standpoint of you know New Zealand business, they're in a position where they can compete on the world world stage, and so they're quite. I think New Zealand business is quite keen on it, mm-hmm. and I think that's a reason why Labour is not going to like chuck out yeah. the TP. PA. My concern about these agreements is like what they do to economies in the in the third world, whether trade agreements have a negative impact on poorer countries. That's kind of my, you know, that would be my interest. Um, I'm not in principle opposed to either. You know, I don't really distinguish very much between free trade and protectionism in a country like New Zealand, because the old days of protectionism, you know, they were not not very prosperous
0: times, were they? Well,
2: they they kind of were because of of things like um, uh, wool and and various other things that New Zealand exported. But they were also connected to to a very kind of insular, closed and conservative society. Mm. And the opening up of New Zealand has also been the opening up of kind of social attitudes and so on. Like a lot of the liberal progressive changes we've had in New Zealand have come you know, since the 1980s yeah, in a, in a more kind of open society. So I'm not actually opposed in principle to to free trade. It all depends on, you know, who's benefiting, who's winning and who's losing.
0: Well, I mean, asking to have money to go out of the country from your government that's your money and your bank is pretty it's pretty bizarre. <laughs> you, yeah. You know, you're not to spend your
1: money overseas. You yeah. made it In
0: New Zealand, you got to spend it here. That, oh, I
1: was so weird out with that. Just play um, like the devil's <laughs> e- <laughs> advocate here. Um... Uh, going along with what Phil said about free trade. Often the, the left has an almost cartoonish presentation mm. of sort of globalization and free trade, where it's seen that, um, especially in the global south or what's termed as the third world, that, that living standards generally go crashing down with such um, agreements, such as the TPPVA and um, other, and the general sort of onslaught of, of globalization. Whereas the reality is, um, when it comes to the global south, the third world, um, living standards have actually substantially risen um, to the point where you look at countries like China where hundreds of millions of people have been pulled out of poverty and that's definitely true throughout Southeast Asia, mm. um, East Asia, less so with Africa. Um, what However, with this general rise in um, gross domestic product in countries of the global south and, and, and hundreds of millions of people being pulled out of poverty there's still there 's the rise of grotesque inequality, so we might see a rise in general living standards, but that's certainly disproportionately uh, weighted towards the most wealthy in those societies oh, definitely. Um, And also, it's very precarious that that the rise in those living standards, because of the unregulated, unplanned nature of a a global, more or less free market economy, um, if there's any bumps along the road, if there's any economic crises, uh, those living standards that have been generally rising with the uh, advent of globalisation can can suddenly crash. And Mm. we saw that with um, the Asian financial crisis in the late 90s, where economies like Korea, South Korea, um, Indonesia, um, Thailand, Malaysia, that were doing quite well, uh, where people were feeling generally more comfortable with their living standards, suddenly people were thrown into abject Poverty, so that's a, that's the nature of globalization. Yes, it can lead to it can lead to better living standards, uh, improvements in lifestyles, etc. But because of the sort of precarious nature of capitalism in, in its global form, uh, nothing's guaranteed there.
0: Mm-hmm. And it's also created um, countries that have basically turned into nations of uh, waiting slaves to be mm. um, employed by. Mm countries yep. like Malaysia, And
1: again, that's contradictory. Like yeah, that's yeah. contradictory because I guess, um, yes, uh, people are effectively wage slaves, maybe and getting paid a few dollars an hour, but uh, their, their living standards are substantially higher than they were, uh, say for example in China, mm. when people, um, Shenzhen, which is a, a mega city next to Hong Kong, where 80% of uh, electronics production is carried out, 80% of electronics production in the world, yeah. uh, y- y- you've got millions of uh, um, Larger young women coming from rural areas, provincial areas, working, you know, um, putting together our cell phones, for example. And their living standards have definitely raised uh, due to that. However, their, their working conditions are pretty appalling. Uh, so, whereas their living standards have raised and they can send money back to their families, um, the psychological effect it, oh, is, suicide, mixed, suicide is mixed. Suicide rates are Yeah, so suicide mm-hmm. rates are very high. Um, we, when studies are done of how people are psychologically. Responding to those working conditions, they often feel um, a greater freedom now living in a rural uh, urban area, and that can be quite exciting for those young workers. But there's also a whole lot of negatives, mm. and, and there's not a lot of sort of uh, uh, union power, working class power, no. ironically, in the workers' no. paradise of China.
0: <laughs> no, and we take it all for granted over here in New Zealand and continue mm. to buy mm. um, that, that shit. Um, all right, we're going to have to move on um, from that, and I guess we're going to. Um, employ, it's a good time to move to employment law, Uh, the changes to employment law came in, uh, well spoken about yesterday, unveiled by the Government that Jacinda Ardern uh, talked about new employment legislation. Um, What exactly
1: did she say? Okay, so the the Government um, has always advocated for a reform agenda in in relation to employment legislation. Um, We've already seen a a raise in the the minimum um, wage um, that that all the um, government parties have been pushing for and under this new legislation there's certainly um, I guess a, a more weight given to uh, the power and the ability of trade unions to organise so now uh, trade unions have more uh, easy access to mm-hmm. work sites so uh, if a trade union t- turns up to a work site and is wanting to talk to workers there the employer j- just can't turn them away and tell them to bugger off uh, there, there's clauses which Um, allow for um, more weight to be put on collective agreements, so again that um, empowers unions. Um, And there are some changes to um, the so-called 90-day rule, uh, where under the previous National Government rules were brought in that um, someone can be put on a a trial period, uh, and after 90 days they can be sacked for any reason. There doesn't need to be an excuse. Now, uh, unions were expecting that this coalition government would completely remove mm. the 90 day law uh, that's not the case, uh, smaller businesses will still be um, allowed to um, enact the 90 day rule uh, this actually comes from New Zealand First and which is Peter's uh, lobbying um, that, that he wanted that um, kept in um, the, the counter argument is well it's no big deal because big businesses uh, uh, can no longer use this 90 day rule, however a lot of New Zealanders, if not the majority of um, New Zealanders, are employed by. Thirty uh, percent. Yeah, uh, employed by smaller businesses. So any business with twenty or less employees uh, uh, can still hire someone, and after ninety days, sack them. For any reason they like. Mm -hmm. So yes, uh, there are some important reforms here uh, and from a union or workers' point of view things are going to be slightly better uh, but it's no revolution, it's no no substantial change. And again, the major components of the Employment Contracts Act that the um, uh, Bolger government brought in um, and uh, the reforms to that Act, which were pretty minor um, um, which were enacted by the previous Helen Clark government the major clauses anti union anti worker clauses of those acts are still in place mm. and
0: do do you see um phil um this maybe boosting union numbers? i mean you still don't have the right to strike um there's still a lot of workers' rights um, that aren't there do Do you yeah. think that unions will you know get a little bit of power back in terms of numbers I think
2: they'll get a little bit of power back but I don't think it's going to make a great deal of difference. And again, it's about smoothing off the rough edges. I think what they've done does actually show just how miserable the last Labour government was. You know, that they didn't do more in terms of swinging the pendulum even a bit back towards workers. Um, One of the industrial relations experts at Victoria University described... The last Labour government's industrial legislation is the ECA with a smiley face, mm-hmm. which was pretty much what it was. I mean, they just, you know, planed down a few a few rough edges. And I think this government has definitely gone further in, you know, like the two months they've been in power. We'll take away Christmas, and you're talking about in the one month, you know, that they that that they've actually been um, actively in in power, um, probably than what the Clark government did in nine years and I think that's about you know, meeting some slightly more expectations that people have um, about change but if you look at union numbers um, I mean there's now less than 20% of the, the workforce in unions and it's predominantly in the public sector, like in the private sector it's about 9% and there's no you know, it seems to have sort of Leveled off at, yeah. at that somewhere around 20%, a little bit below, a little bit above, but around that, and I. Can't it might go up a little bit, but you know there's more and more people joining the workforce every day. So as a percentage of the so the numbers are going to go up, but as a percentage of the workforce, it might go up a wee bit. But I don't think it's going to go up very much. Mm -hmm. And I think the trouble the problem there is with the unions. Like people just don't see unions as being particularly relevant. And I think the unions have to become you know like crusading workers' organisations, rather than just kind of managing workers on behalf of the the employers. I mean, every time there's a factory closure, what does the union do? It just sort of makes sure that the T's, are crosses, and the I's are dotted. It doesn't say, no, you're not going to, you know, we're going to occupy, or we're going to do this, or we're going to do that. We don't have a movement that actually seriously champions workers' rights. Mm -hmm. And I think that's... That's why the union movement is in the parlous situation yeah. um, that it's in, and yet, so unions have welcomed these measures, but they've also said, you know, like they don't, they don't go far enough. Um, that the, the ninety-day um, legislation and it's thirty percent of workplaces, but in the private sector it's probably a lot bigger
0: yeah. than thirty percent
2: of workplaces, and that's the private sector is where the biggest problems
0: are. Uh, I mean, our unions just businesses like any others now they're just you know scared Are they scared to be tough and break the law and push the boundaries
2: well in the past we you know how do workers have the rights they have
0: mm, by doing <laughs> like, that
2: like if nobody ever broke the law we'd still be living in a you know <laughs> slaves you know <laughs> we'd still have i don't know feudalism or maybe even mm
1: channel slavery. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Even here in Dunedin, at the turn of the twentieth century, we had uh, slum areas. We had uh, uh, appalling um, industrial workplaces. Um, you know that were of the conditions of say um, a poorer third world country. Now, um, mm. um, John A. Lee, a former uh, Labour Party um, cabinet minister of the first Labour government, wrote a book about this in his book "Children of the Poor," um, and it took a you know a, a militant uh, Labour movement, union movement, uh, as well as uh, a Labour government to the left to to actually turn that situation around. What I find interesting... um with a lot of the rhetoric and, and the rationales behind these reforms we're seeing from the current Labour government, is there's a real indication that this Labour government does want unions to actually have a more central place in um, negotiating wages and conditions and salaries of workers, which I think is different to the previous Clark government. The previous Clark government um, did bring about some reforms, but they're pretty minor, and they, and they didn't lead to unions having any more of a substantial role in the economy. Me, but um, the the minister um, the minister of workplace relations in Lees Galloway has made clear that the changes to industrial legislation are there to lift wages through collective bargaining. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there's a realisation amongst not only the left, not only uh, um, the current government, but even amongst sectors of the business class that there's... Uh, that elements of our economy which rely on low wages and precarious employment aren't necessarily good for the economy uh there's not enough investment by businesses uh, there's not enough training of workers um, there's not enough skilled workers out there whether it's within the ict area whether it's in the trades etc etc and i think there's a realization that um with such a weak union movement, uh, businesses in a sense have got lazy uh, and, and can rely on low wages, um, unskilled labour to, to great a degree for a, a post-industrial society like New Zealand. So we even had um, Jim Bolger previously. Uh, um, uh, who's no sort of socialist uh, yeah. talking about that unions are too weak now, yeah. that the Employment Contracts that that he put in place uh, um, oh, basically he's... took unions out of the equation and, yeah. and that hasn't been good for the New Zealand economy so from, even from a capitalist point of view uh, I think there's a realisation that uh, there needs to be Employees Association uh, pushing businesses into actually investing in their, in their workforce. A man with many regrets is old Jim Bulger uh, right now.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that government was basically the Ruth Richardson government, and he was along for the ride oh, yeah. as, as, as
0: Prime Minister. Yeah, so Two uh, governments in a row being run by yeah, the Minister of Finance. So yeah. We're, we're going to have to leave it there. Sorry, guys. Um, thank you so much for coming in this morning. Always a pleasure. Cheers, Jamie. News up yes. next. Here's Wolf